0: And welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. We're listening to a track by X101, which was an early alias of Underground Resistance. This was a record that took Berlin by storm in the beginning of the 90s. It was also the music that got this week's guest into techno. Carola Stoiber was initially taken by post-punk, hardcore and the experimental acts active in her adopted hometown of Berlin. But through her work as a journalist and later as the general manager of Trezor Records, Stoiber connected emergent techno-scenes in Detroit, Edinburgh, Birmingham and London with her Berlin base. She later weathered two serious storms, the closure of the original Trezor and the disintegration of the record industry. These days, she's a booking agent at Pool Proxy, which brought her to Amsterdam, where RA's Holly Dicker had the chance to find out about her story thus far. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on Soundcloud at RA-exchange. The exchange with Carola Stoiber is up next.
1: I'm in sunny Amsterdam on the first weekend of August. Uh, Pride is happening outside in the streets, but I'm inside in the Sheraton Hotel with Carola Stoiber. Carola, can you tell us about your decision to first move to Berlin? Because you were sort of originally from north of Germany, is that right? How
2: old were you and why did you decide to move? I decided to move to Berlin when I was 15. Uh, I I grew up in the north of Germany in a very, very small village. It's out of nowhere land. And um, I did pony horseback riding in a village that was close to my one. There's nothing else to do. And, you know, um, girls are into pony stuff and horses. For the record, I was too. (laughs) So there there was a... then, Then started to take lessons there, blah, blah, blah. And there were also during holiday time, vacation time, a lot of um, young other children coming. They were coming for one week, two weeks, three weeks, depending. And, and in the meantime, the, the country girls were taking care of the ponies. So, But this is where I met the Berlin people. There was a crew of Berlin guys and girls and sisters and, and cousins. They were between 12 and 15, and they came with the cool clothes and the right music it was already post punk time but they have, they brought ska and and they were just looking cool and i just okay this is this is it so we became friends with the girls we were 12 13 and started to visit each other so then i started to go to berlin all the time all the time i could do it i jumped on a train which was then back in the day still east and west so you had to cross also the eastern part with train which took forever because the tracks were bad and you also had to stop and they did the pass control and everything. And then with 15, I decided this is where I want to go and um, was holding on another three and a half years, finishing my school. And then I just took my stuff and, and moved. Did you go with...
1: Any other purpose other than you just wanted to be in Berlin? Like, did you go for studying or music scene or a job, or was it just I'm going to Berlin and
2: see what happens? That was a little bit prepared. I had three years to prepare. <laughs> I'm <laughs> gonna, I'm gonna set this up. So, um, and of course, that was not um, taken out of the blue. I was interested in history and so i uh, signed in for studying history journalism and politics because i wanted to become a journalist mm. and then but i of course made sure that i can choose the city so that they don't send me somewhere else I, it had to be berlin so i made sure that what i choose here will work with what the plan was mm. and uh in music into music i was there already of course yes because i went back and forth and listened to a lot of stuff and learned a lot of uh, bands and, and about bands with, with the gang of, of Berlin because they were all skaters, punk rockers and also in bands themselves and quite active.
1: Can you set the sort of musical scene for us a little bit, the kind of time and maybe some of the places that you went and some of the artists that you saw during this period?
2: Yeah, we saw a lot of artists. <laughs> the, the the thing I, I do remember that was quite impressive was uh, we went to see Killing Joke in Kant Kino. And, uh, I mean, we were 15 or 16. The, the big question now is, who checked back in the days, by the way, which, you know, who went to the concerts? I mean, we, were, we went and we were 15, 16. There was nobody asking for passports. I'd, I was discussing with my friend recently, he how, how did we do that? I mean, we just <laughs> went, nobody. Anyway, so we put on high heels you know, for the, for the band and shit and, and the concert and just couldn't walk with them. Um, high heels for killing joke. <laughs> that sounds crazy. Like, yeah, uh, um, this is what I do remember. Some strange other shoes than, than, so that we look a little bit, you know, older. Maybe we got rid of our black black boots we had all the time. Anyway, so the concert was great, and then we were caught in backstage. Why that happened, I can't remember. Neither we all had crazy hair already, so maybe they. But and and they were thinking probably that we were older. So then I got an autograph of the bass player, and <laughs> <laughs> and we were just hanging out there, and I don't know that nothing was happening. I don't even think that we. Sp- spoke to the band. I can't remember that, but as I, found, I found it again. I still have this Amazing. autograph. It's crazy. That was that was quite impressive. And um, uh, what was the
1: venue and where was it? Does it exist anymore?
2: It's the famous Kant Kino. You had Kant Kino with the cinemas and then it was also venue. Now they show movies again. And there was also the place in the 80s, Talking Heads. Everybody played. Kant Kino, and the other one was SO36 for the punk rock, for, for the other bigger punk rock bands. Probably Killing Joke weren't that big at that time. I can't remember capacity. And there was also Cartier Latin, that is now Wintergarten, this variety. That was a, that was a big venue also where, for example, Theatre of Hate and, and Spare of Destiny, and, and they all played. And I remember that one too, because Theatre of Hate played recently again after 30 years and he's still singing, c- crazy good. But then I remember that the Cati had seats, seat rows. So, and everybody was jumping on it and then they, they crashed and we fell with the seat row that was crashed. It was also something I do remember, but uh, yeah.
1: So you're a, a punk with crazy hair and boots and studying journalism. Uh, what happened next?
2: Um, I finished the university and, um, started to write. Did I start to write already? Probably yes, I started. <laughs> <laughs> but while I was studying, you, you have to, um, think that or you have to imagine that you had workshops. So you were sent, or you, you were sent to discuss with a partner, team partner, find a subject, talk about and, and do a feature for radio, three minute feature. And I met, I, I did this with my, f- then became a friend, Reiner, and we, we found, uh, Achim Kohlberger and Dimitri Hegemann, who were running Fish Bureau and Fish Labor. I think Fish Labor already. Yes. The, the bar in Schöneberg already that time. And they were about to found a label, and and uh, Reina knew that, and so um, we said, okay, we're gonna interview them and see what they want to do, and so we did, and that's how I met them, and then we just did the interview, and they were talking about that they want to sign Clock DVA or sign Clock DVA because they know they knew them from before, and and uh, now we're starting to do a record company, and that was it, and I said, okay, thank you very much, thank you for the interview. We did the feature for the radio that was, I, I don't know, maybe it was even broadcasted. Yes, it was. Um, and then I went to Fish Labor the other night again, and then they were asking me if I want to become the secretary for the upcoming label. And we still, I asked them later why they asked me, and they couldn't tell me. Dimitri just told me that Achim said, this one in. <laughs> Th- this one has to, this one in. Um. I have to describe that Corolla is sort of waving
1: her arm in. <laughs> so, secretary, what exactly does that mean, and what did it entail, and what was your reaction to that?
2: I took the job because that was better than babysitting. Because I was still studying, or I also cleaned clean bars. That was what you do as a stu- student. I actually cleaned the... Cafe Swing, which is also a famous place for concerts and hang out for for the scene back in the days in the West. And uh, you know, then I just started as a secretary. You have to imagine this is what, what it was. There was Achim sitting, dictating. Dictating. Is this the right word? Yeah. What letters I have to write because you have to imagine no emails. Mm-hmm. There was fax. No fax mm-hmm. it was. So you had to put everything in one page. You didn't do do it like what we do now. One word and then back and forth. You have to think about and write a letter with everything you wanted to say, to fax it out, and then the fax came back answering the letters. So that's what I did first place. And you
1: eventually became the music editor at Berlin Tip magazine. Can you tell us about the magazine and uh, maybe fill in the gap? There was maybe a couple
2: of years in between. Um, it was, it was not a b- big gap of years in between, in between. It was pretty much happening at the same time. So I was studying and I was working for Interfish Records. And then I finished my university and then I went on a trip with my friend to USA. What do you do? You've done now. Okay. Now we're going to go six weeks. So we went to San Francisco, bought a car, went down to Texas to meet friends, a band. And sold the car then and went to New York City and did hang out in New York City. And also with, I don't know, with friends we had before, we met before. So um, so I met somebody there in New York City and I fell in love with him. And then I went home again and then I went back again. Uh, I was back in Berlin and then I was s- telling my bosses, okay, there's a new music seminar and I have to go back to New York City. And they said, oh, okay. So they sent me back
1: to New York City. Sorry, can you put a timeline on it? Can you give us a date? What year
2: was this? Um, That was 91. And I can't remember. Yeah, 91 must be 91. And then I went to New York, again, pretty fast. There were not a lot of weeks in between. But there was also already then the the Trezor uh, Club in the building process and it was opening it was open then too already and the the dj booking started so it was already in the pipeline that we bring some dj's from usa over
1: before we get into that maybe you can backtrack a little bit and tell us about sort of the the predecessor if you like of treasure which was the uh, UFO, or do I say UFO club? How would I say it?
2: The Yeah, the UFO, yeah. the UFO club, that was before. But I wanted to go back via New York City because oh. because that was the, when I went to New Music Seminar, I also met, Jeff Mills, Underground but I also met the main music editor of Tip Magazine, which was a B-weekly uh, program and... Yeah, also City magazine with writing about music bands and what what's happening in the city culture and, and stuff. That was a print magazine and that was also quite important.
1: It, it's still going now, right? Yeah.
2: It's still going now, but not the way it was. It was a little bit more also with political background too. There was another one, City. So City and Tip were the one covering covering the, the Berlin actions, but also again, no online or something was was there. It was, you know, you got the infos from the print magazines. And then um, she asked me to write something for her small report, and I did. And then she said, why don't you come and, and uh, become the music editor for Berlin? So that's how it happened. Mm-hmm. All at the same time, pretty much. I started to work there because mm-hmm. I wanted to write... Finnish University, mm-hmm. as I said. So went in there, okay, let's do that. But kept on working for Interfish becoming, in the process, becoming Trezor Records. Mm-hmm. Because the club was there then. And beforehand, at the UFO club, before the war came down, that was the club for the pre-techno acid mm-hmm. So coming from EBS, yeah, EBM, switching into what we call techno now. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was there maybe one or two times, not a lot, because I was still into guitar music and post-punk rock and hardcore. Okay. So I was working there, but from the musical side, I was not yet into. That's interesting. So what was the, the switch for you? What What
1: really turned you on? To techno,
2: it was um, underground resistance. It was the music they brought us to also release because they were looking for a European label or distribution when they started the X101 series, and that was that was um, that was it. Because it has it had also this it has this special energy. They will kill me if I if I <laughs> if they ever listen to. It. If you're into quite, you know, into hardcore and metal music was quite energetic, then there was, there was also this energy. It was this also maybe a little bit, no, not a little bit, angriness too. So then, then I said, ah, okay. And later on, when I went to Detroit, then I understood also why it happened to be the music they do or they did.
1: So sort of back to this point of um, the UFO club being uh, at the turning point of sort of EBM acid house becoming techno. Was there a, or were you aware of the kind of animosity? Might be a bit too harsh a word, but this sort of like Berlin versus Frankfurt ideology, which I read somewhere, sort of came across via another magazine called Front Page. Were you uh, aware of this, or was was it not really your music at the moment at that point, and didn't really care?
2: <laughs> I was aware of that because they were talking about that. A lot, but I I haven't been to Frankfurt and I was in Berlin. I didn't, I really didn't care about this, and I also think that this is stupid. <laughs> I mean, it was it's stupid now, and it was stupid back in the days because it was we all went. You know, started electronic music because of the community, and and I don't even know who that who was starting that, but. But later on of course, yeah, the Frankfurt people are coming and of course they were dressed differently. Berlin was black always. They were having white shirts and, you know, muscles and but what okay, let's let's do they, they can do what they want. So I did not really care about this. More more was the problem I remember was that the guitar music and the techno people they didn't want to switch. So I was jumping scenes, and you could not convince in the beginning somebody switching and checking that out too, said, No, 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 this is nothing for me, or no, no, no. Now it's completely different. Not, not after all these years. It started to be different already earlier, but I was quite strict.
1: The UFO club kind of infamously sort of hosted the first ever Love Parade After Party, right? Were you there? Were
2: you at Love Parade? No, I was not. Yeah, no, I was not at the first Love Parade. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I knew that, they were, that there was planned and that they're running around on Kudam and I was also living in a side street there. But I'd somehow missed to go. <laughs> so I don't know. I also can, I only can watch that on TV then when they show some bits and pieces of the first one. But everybody talked about it after and, and thought it would have been a great thing which is true. I assume you went to one of them. <laughs> or Did you go
1: to any love parades? Yeah. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, I went to a few, then later on at Kurfürstendamm. And um, that was great. Oh, holy what year? This is... I can't... This I can't remember. I had... <laughs> Also early nineties, yeah. I had friends coming over from the North Sea, or they came over from the North Sea where I grew up and, and they were in town for, for that one. And this is one I remember in particular. And, and then uh, they said, Oh, this is love parade today. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, tomorrow. And I said, Yeah, yeah, we go there. So I took them there and we had a, a big, um, sleepover in our, Viggy in our apartment because I lived with some friends and it was booked out. They all slept over in our place to come to love and go to love parade. So I went with them like <laughs> I said, now follow me <laughs> and then and then yeah, and then the the, the, the one from North Germany we were quite impressed about what's going on there. and then we went to Tresor too, so yeah,
1: Tresor in the original space uh opened. March 1991 I believe what else was happening at that time in Berlin were you going to any raves or were you still into guitar music even then because surely I think that that was the moment when techno was really exploding
2: I was always into guitar music (laughs) I never (laughs) I never went away from this I'm still listening to a lot of stuff probably mostly back of the days so from back of the days, um, no, I was um, going to a lot of concerts because there were a lot of bands coming to Berlin and play, mm. and so I saw everything. No, a few that became big, for example, Pearl Jam when they played Loft Club, and and then I went to Trezor from time to time, still working as a secretary yeah. <laughs> for for the for Trésor Records, but a little bit more than into the direction of journalism, so that. You know, the beginning of 90s to 92, how you see it, slipped slipped away a little bit from the label because I was concentrating on my career Mm -hmm. as a journalist and what I wanted to do. So I also did a radio show with Radio 100, which was a left-wing alternative radio station where you had the freedom to to play whatever you want and, and you had technicians that came also to um, collective radio it was something you better you couldn't cannot work for with with an official broadcast sequence no frequency yeah. so that was that was really a great great time
1: um, how did you land that gig and what what were you playing on your show was it music based or were you talking as well
2: it was it was music based um and i we did shows for example, Australian music focus, or sometimes if there were a few concerts at the same week, then you presented to, uh, the bands, played the bands that were about to come and play. And uh, but also did a lot of interviews and did features too, which could have been 20 minutes or one hour. That's what I meant with the freedom you had. Mm-hmm. There was nobody saying you have to do something that's three minutes long. Or if the interview was good, you just, you know, kept on broadcasting the quotes and 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 also playing the music do you have
1: like a favorite interview or a favorite memory from this time
2: yes i do which is true one is with the lead singer of the band helmet new york noise hardcore who i met in new york Again, New York. Because that was also a friend of a friend. He knew that where he was working, so I got a chance to talk to him. And I talked to him again then later on. And they just played yesterday in Berlin, by the way. I missed that, but so it was quite good. And of course, now it's yeah, the other one is Underground Resistance. Because I also interviewed them in New York. <laughs> they were there. And I took the chance and, and, uh, yeah. And then I got that chance to get that feature broadcasted in Monika Dietl's, Mm. Monika Dietl's, um, show. That was the first show in Berlin, uh, for electronic music.
1: Okay. So take us back to New York, um, and or the moment you
2: first met Underground Resistance. It was actually uh, final cut was first. Mm -hmm. Final cut was the also it's not EBM. Industrial Industrial was emceeing. You also had a guy doing some vocals, Mm -hmm. whatever, telling texting. Some I can't remember, Mm -hmm. and he was the mastermind in that one already. But they were the the MC was from Chicago. And then there was Atonal Festival in ninety eighty nine or ninety. I think the one with Jeff
1: Mills. His first big trip was in nineteen ninety, performing with Final Cut. I assume you were there. How was it?
2: Yeah, there was also interesting, funny story because I was working with for the label, and then they hired me also for artist, being artist host mm-hmm. for doing um, during the festival. That was the first one. After the break for Atonal, when when it was first electronic, mm. before it was guitar, underground, experimental noise, mm. and then everyone said, "Oh, Atonal is now electronic. How can they do that?" Mm. I remember that. So there was a lot of, buzz. what 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 would happen?" That now. So did you go to the old ones then? No, I couldn't because I was not in Berlin yet. Oh. Mm, I missed them. <laughs> i was dreaming of but i was still in the countryside but for that one of course i went and then there was um a band was canceled it was 808 but then 808 stayed in the end came and consolidated played and then we invited final cut because they were also on interfish records with their license from 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 usa we did and and then they came flew them over and it was with Jeff Mills and it was also not like what we have now you fly them in there's a hotel and everything we just had a big loft for them and I remember that I did bring some sheets so that they can have it warm because it was not very was not very warm in Berlin that day and and then we also went to UFO club together and that was it then they went away it was a great show they played and and then I'm back in New York City in the new music, new music Seminar 91. I was sitting in a panel about music and industry. And then there was a small paper coming, was gave, given through the roles. And then it ended and says, hey, I know you from Berlin. This is Jeff. And then and he was turning around. And I said, ah, crazy, it's Jeff. And that's how we met again. And he was then with underground resistance, as underground resistance, with Mike Banks, Eddie Flesh and folks, Juan Atkins, the whole Detroit people, united forces to go out and present the sound to the world, their sound. That was the mission You was on. And that's how I met them again. And there I did the interview, because it was also new, of course, and I said, oh, you need to tell me about this now. So I did an interview for my part of the... Whatever job or life or journalistic style, and then on the other hand, Tresor was happening. And I said, when I went back to Berlin, so now you have to book Underground Resistance, which was already the plan. But then, but then they came over with Blake Baxter first, I think,
1: and that was the moment
2: you fell in love with techno. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> that was the moment because I got the records, and then and then I said, oh, okay, ah, alles klar. Yeah. And then, of course, there was a different, um, emotion, mission, passion to go on working for Trezor Records then, because the music was a little bit, it was more mine than before. Before it was, okay, some artists are doing some electronic, whatever stuff, which was good too, of course. But, um, but then it was, yeah, yes, okay. Yeah. Now, now I got it.
1: Cool. So then I guess that means you took a bit more ownership and maybe your role changed?
2: Mm, yeah, a little bit more ownership too, but um the role changed, did not change yet, mm. hasn't changed yet. Because I then left to work for the Tip magazine mm. and, and because they offered me a job before I was freelancing. So I said, okay, I'm going to work for them. But then I was called back in 94, I think it was. No, 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 no. Wrong. 92? No, 94. Oh, I don't know. I should have done this year things. No, it was 94 when, when they caught me back and asked if I would come back and become the general manager. So when that, that was happening then. So what
1: did the general manager role entail?
2: General manager role for Trezor Records was getting the records out, signing artists, checking who could be interesting doing the deals mm. and then yeah and then just uh, getting get it going production distribution I maybe mean, we didn't do the distribution but communication was the distribution and and uh do we do promo everything yeah,
1: yeah i guess that has now become various different roles like a and r blah 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 but back then it was one person doing everything
2: i would never say there's only one person that's what right. some you know some people like to do because they they run around and say it's all me Mm. it was always a team always a team there were always people uh around and it was mm, yeah also the matter of not the matter of time but the the time and and the setup with the club and and everything something that you would think that was all planned but it was not Mm. we didn't think it was just all happening Mm. maybe this is a good time to
1: tell us a bit more about the team and like the structure i feel like it was probably quite chaotic back in those days
2: maybe is still i don't know if it's <laughs> if it's more chaotic if it was more chaotic no no it was quite straight There was a business you had to do your stuff you had to do the communication the, i was working with an american mark snow and he was then the main a and r and um, that all happened and when, when I came back. And so we did the label together for a long time. Of course, there was Dimitri also supervising and, and coordinating and the club people were there, but the label side were him and me. And we worked hard. We worked from 10 to late at night. So what was
1: uh, your joint vision? Who were the some of the artists you were signing and
2: where were you looking to find these artists? I always, you know, later on I always put it like this: if you if you can hang out with the artists in in the bar and you can drink with them, then it's all fine. You have to, you have to, yeah, you have to like each other, mm. too. You have to have the same visions and goals. You cannot just uh, now put this record out and then and then it's happening. There there was the united also repeating this united forces for for this. And the vision was always to you know, put out quality techno music and be a little bit ahead of whatever is, was coming then too. Because we were quite mm, ahead. Um, absolutely. Um, so we're in the mid-90s
1: period. And this is sort of the time when this British techno axis was happening, uh, specifically around Edinburgh. Can you talk a bit about those artists and how they joined Trezor?
2: Yeah, that's what I—that's what I meant before. Also, that you always were—we were always looking for something that is maybe interesting, but also the the fact that it was nothing planned. So there was this London guy, Terry Donovan, from. He was working for bmg as far as i remember and he also run uh did run a night he hosted a night the treasure club bringing london underground artists and that's why he that's why we for example met dave tarida he came with him so that the whole crew from edinburgh Neil landstrom dave Tarita, to Schmidt, and then also christian vogel not from edinburgh but from brighton um, but they were, they were connected. Mm-hmm. They were the No Future gang mm-hmm. later on because they were on the same, how you say that, Holly, on the same wavelength in, in doing music. And, and that was more the experimental. We, we would call it, we called it experimental back in the days. If you listen to that now, it's, it's really solid techno. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so we're talking about Sativa recordings and the Mosquito labels run by those guys
2: separately. Yeah, Mosquito was Christian Vogel, Sativa was Dave with his partner and Neil had Scandinavia already. Yeah, and Toby was also recording for them and they were recording for each other. So Christian was actually the first... The first one, we then said, okay, we would like to sign or see if he would be into doing a record, and he was. So um, that was happening then. And when he played first time in Berlin, I do remember it was. I think it was the second time in in general, but the first first time I saw. I went there and then he was playing and it was completely different from what I was used to listen to because he just, when he listened to his said it was that he cut himself so that he was stumbling. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 the he, he cut him, the, the beat flow yeah. himself all the time. Yeah. So, so it was really, really, really new for me and also for a lot of people. Because beforehand, it was more that everybody tried to get a flow with mixing and, and so that you build up your hypnotic or whatever, the atmosphere. And he just cut it all the time. Boom, another record and, and completely different beat and, and tempo. And so that was like, what is he doing? And it was super cool. And what about the other guys? The same, they were, I mean, they had their own style as well. Neil was performing live. Mm. So he was not d- DJing. And still very rarely, I think mm. his, he is the, he's the one live. Toby, I think as well. And Dave Tarita was also this direction, but he had his own style in, in, in DJing, of course, too. But it was, I would say, we'll call it the, I call it the UK New School. Because it was for for UK, it was the new sound that was coming from there. But there was also another scene. There was Brighton and Edinburgh, but there was also Birmingham. Mm-hmm. So you had Surgeon and Regis, mm-hmm. and those guys doing their stuff. I wouldn't say fr- like Frankfurt, Berlin, mm-hmm. but you know, it's two different spots where the the. Mm, Talents and originators were starting their, their labels and their music mm-hmm. they wanted to do. And did you,
1: how did you first hear about these scenes? Did you go over to the UK and experience it firsthand?
2: Yes, I did. Because if, if they were not coming yet <laughs> to play Trezor, I went to Birmingham and and, and uh, checked out the scene there and met Tony Surgeon and, and was also, and I think we went to, to Leeds too the same weekend and and then I was there and people were out of their heads, and I was not used to that. UK was already pretty crazy. Berlin is crazy, but UK is always a little bit more. And they were oh, hands up and open eyes and yeah. And I said, God, what's going on here? I got a little bit scared, <laughs> but then I understood. Okay, okay, this is the and you know, also the version here. It was quite nice, but don't, I can't remember the club, though.
1: And then there was also James Ruskin, who kind of a bit later on became pretty important, kind of after the millennium, I guess. So how did he get involved?
2: James, I think, was booked for... Don't ask me, James, if this is wrong. Please forgive. <laughs> I think he was booked first for Treasure, and we just liked his style, and then we also asked him if he would if he would do a record for us. and and uh, But he was also connected to the surgeon, uh, friends and labor side, and out of that scene. And he was really good, too, and really outstanding. Did you have much involvement with the club itself?
1: Was there much of a crossover?
2: The labor was involved, the labor people with the club, of course there was a team again, but also the snowball effect that you had that you could go and play the records in the club and check them out at the dance floor directly. And of course, the label artists were playing Trezor. So in the very end, I was there in the hardcore days every weekend because then I knew everybody. There was always one, one uh, DJ playing that we knew. So the artist dinner, Trezor, Trezor, Trezor. I spent quite a few years in this. Seller. (laughs) Um, I guess at this point, the journalism stopped. Yeah, the journalism stopped. I, I kept on writing a little bit here and there. And, but then I had to stop because you couldn't, I could not go on with this. Don't ask me if that was, if that was the right thing to do in my life. But I guess there was, that, that was the turning point to make a decision between, okay, now, now it's going to be this label and the electronic music or the journalism. And I decided to go for the electronic music.
1: No regrets?
2: Um, not, no, not, not at all. Yeah, and then uh, sometimes I did write info sheets. So that was also quite good that I was able to describe the music. We've all been there.
1: I myself wrote many a trizzle info sheet, <laughs> full disclosure. Okay, so then the rumors started emerging that Trezor would have to close. Can you give us sort of the the the, the story of that?
2: Yeah, then the rumor started that Trezor had to close, but uh, it took a while. It took a few, few years because there was always a. Um, but then then um, the they didn't start to build what they wanted to do at the at the area, and so got extension, got extension, got extension. And Then in, in the very end. It had to close, and I was turning forty. in that in that year, in these two weeks, I'm not saying how old I am now so that you can figure out when that was. And there was a two weeks party going on mm-hmm. with everybody who was um was important and wanted to play.
1: So is this
2: like a continuous
1: party for two weeks? That sounds insane.
2: Yes, it was insane, but it was not all day long. It was, um, but every night, closing, then sleep a little bit, and then next one's coming in. I I can't remember how we survived this. But it was great. It was really, really, really good.
1: And then what happened next? So I think Chazor sort of was exiled for a while. I believe it was at Maria Am Ufa on a Wednesday night. And then, meanwhile, finding the new location.
2: Yeah, it was exiled. Resort was exiled, done, uh, at Maria and sometimes SO36 as well. We did some, some parties there too. And then the new location was found, but it took a while to, to get it all going because it was this rough industrial building. Everybody knows now, I guess. Uh, but there was nothing done. So you had to build the, the uh, upper floor and the downstairs had to be also be done. And in comparison to the old club, it was not like that. You just open it, and you just did some renovation, put on a bar, and then you were able to open it. That was, that was the case, back in the days. This time it was with the Berlin institution that was responsible for that area. Everything had to be stamped, and everything had to be okay, and emergency access. So that took longer than expected because they needed to this, that, then, then, and then one one day it opened. And in the meantime, though, whole was. Mm opening from their former place, Osgut, or uh, then found they found their new industrial hall and we know what's going on there now, mm. too. So I think it's fair to say
1: that um Berghein and Trezor are institutions, so what was their relationship like when they first started emerging and how have how has the sort of climate in Berlin sort of
2: changed? It's difficult to to Say that because you have to imagine or think that if you are in a club labor world, you are in an own world. If Trezor, if you, if you, if you work for Trezor, then it's, everything is around Trezor. Mm. And I'm sure that's the same in Bergheim. So when Trezor was, uh, about to open again and this all happened, there was not a lot that, focus of what's going on it was just how can we get this going or our thing now going again and and uh, I thought I think I was a little bit older than two and I figured also that's a little bit yeah you have to be more open and I'm not saying that as a something that you say, oh, the treasure people or we were um, not open enough I think in general it's important that if you If you are in this, in, in this club world and, and, um, in, in this, how you say this? Home, home, home base that you never should lose to watch a little bit over what's going on in, in Berlin, in the other cities, in the rest of the world. And I think that can happen easily. So I cannot really remember. I just know that was about to open. And Berkheim was already there. And then when it was open, then of course the story started that how can you now also exist next to Bergheim that was already established in a new location that has a history but had to establish itself again, which happened now. It's all fine. It's all great, I think. Good bookings, club is doing well, but it took a while.
1: Yeah, yeah so essentially you... You had to start from scratch, but also and sort of move forward, whilst still being mindful of having all of this history. I guess that in itself is quite a difficult task. What was some of the, what were some of the biggest challenges, and how did the team uh, move past them?
2: Yeah, the big the big challenge was to understand that there in, in these two years of, the big challenge was, to understand that in the two years with Notrezor. Um, there was a lot happening also in Berlin mm. and that it's all different because it's, the scene was changing, is changing all, all the time and was changing radic- radically too. Plus, plus also beforehand the label, I mean the distribution, the distributors went out of business because of the uh, internet digital world starting and, and uh, there was a lot of struggle to keep the label going um, too, because there was the switch from vinyl uh, to digital and the time where both was happening, but of course less vinyl sales than ever before and you had to figure that all out. And the distributors were just also more traditional way and went out of business. So we saved the label one time when the big distributor went out of business and then another time, and then I have to admit that I started to fear f- myself that it's time to do something else. Mm. Not because I gave up, because the labor was, um, and, and the distribution situation changed, just in general, because I was already there twenty over 20 years.
1: So this neatly brings us back up to date. No, You're no longer with Trezor, but you did admit to me that you were there a few nights ago, so you're still you're still partying there. Um, but no, we are here in Amsterdam uh, because two of your pool proxy artists are playing at Catharsis, one of my personal favorite parties. Can you tell us about setting up pool proxy? What is it for those who don't know and why it's special?
2: <laughs> um, yeah, that, um, to talk a little bit about what I do now with pool proxy is... I then left Trezor and decided that I want to check what else could be good for me in life and met a friend I knew from before and he was asking me about license for film and I said okay I come by and check out what you're what you are doing now And he had this agency with his partner uh, for publicity uh, in the digital world and also booking and then he offered me a job in booking and I said, oh, Yeah, I could do that, but I'm not sure, but give me a little more time because I was just off and I just wanted to check a little bit around. But then then I said, okay, let's do it. So I started at Proxy Booking, and then later on I became partner from Philip Hofmann, who was running the publicity department, who then decided that he would like to quit (laughs) and work in computer programming, which is understandable, which left me with this company which is a great company (laughs) and we have two departments one is for publicity we do EP and album promo and we do bookings and I have also artists that are from Trezor Times
1: yeah so you're uh, heading up the booking side of things Um, yeah let's talk about some of the roster it's quite quite a nice mix of like old school Detroit and Newer people.
2: Yeah, for, yeah, when I started the booking, booking, um, working for the booking side of Book Proxy, then of course there were some older, mm-hmm. older uh, artists I know from before, asking if they could come and join the roster. So I took mm-hmm. some on, for example, LMX, who I know from again '91 in New York mm-hmm. City. This seemed to have been a really pivotal
1: trip time moment where everything happened 1991 new york city
2: <laughs> yeah because he was introduced to me by his he was, he was his f- brother frankie bones and i think he was he was very he was 19 or something very white you know skinny he was, and then oh, this is adam x i said oh, okay great so so we were following each other also for a long time yeah, but, and, and then, and then with, now I have uh, also a few more artists he signed for Sonic Groove, mm. but I also have developer from Los Angeles, techno DJ, but also one that was not rising just out of the blue now. Mm. He has also his background in the LA scene, but that would be too long now. Mm. So, mm, and Orphrex. So I'm trying to, to, I'm trying to keep the special stuff, a little bit. And I also like artists that are open for corporations and think a little bit further. And and of course they need to produce these days too, if you want to keep on going. But I think I have some talents in there. Good, good artists. It's not easy. The war outside is quite hard because there's so many young DJs coming due to the recording and DJ hard and software that's up now that you can use but um, I still believe in the good music and that's why I can keep on going with this.